It's time for your NBA Daily Assist. Now, here's Chris Mannix on 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Joining us now from Sports Illustrated is our good friend Chris Mannix. Hi, Chris. What's going on, guys? Well, we have a lot of drama to talk to you about, Chris, but let's let's start on the floor. How impressed with you or are you with Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors and what they did to the Bucks? Oh, really impressed. I mean, to go down to zip and then beat a team in four straight that the entire season had not lost more than two straight is was something to watch. Um, you know, Kawhi, I think he's really reestablished himself as one of the top five players in this league, and he did it all with an injury that I think is going to prove to be more significant than we thought at the end of the season. I don't know how much more significant, but you know, in, in talking to some of the guys in that locker room over the last couple of games, it's clear that you know he he was day to day in in this series where you know guys would walk up to him and say, "You good? You okay?" Um, they knew what he was playing through uh, to get them to where they got, and I think it's really been a remarkable run for the Raptors and a remarkable run for Kawhi Leonard. I love Kawhi Leonard, and I love the way he plays. I love the way he handles himself. But, Chris, should I let go of what happened a year ago with the, with the Spurs? It's still kind of troubling because I don't understand exactly what took place. Well, I mean, that's the big thing. I don't think anybody truly understands what took place except that there was a disagreement within Kawhi's camp and Kawhi and San Antonio's medical staff about the injury, the treatment of the injury, the diagnosis of the injury, and when he was ready to play. I think that's what it boils down to. I mean, I think Kawhi has proven in this postseason that he's willing to play through pain. I mean, he's playing through a lot of it right now. You can see when he lands on that right leg, there's a lot of discomfort, pain even, uh, in that spot. He's playing through it. Um, I think what it was last year was that it was – a real injury that really affected him, and he was just anxious about, you know, playing on it, and didn't believe he was ready to go play on it. I, I think that anyone that questions toughness after watching him do what he did in that series against Milwaukee, I, I don't know what to tell you. If you think he's, if you think he's not a guy that'll play through pain uh, after watching that, uh, you're just never going to buy into Kawhi Leonard. Chris, since we're not sure the status of Kevin Durant, whether he'll play or not, let's assume for a minute that he won't. Are the Warriors still a heavy favorite in your mind if he doesn't play? I think they're a favorite. Um, Certainly not as heavy if Durant played. That certainly goes without saying. But I still think that the way they're playing right now and the star power that they have – I mean, outside of Kawhi, they're better than Toronto at at most positions. Their backcourt is better. The power forward spot with Draymond is better. Uh, They're they're still an accomplished team, but it it really, you know, decreases the margin for error. I mean, they'll go from, you know, having, you know, uh, Alfonso McKinney and, and Kevin Looney as luxuries in that series against Portland, the necessities. I mean, they're going to need these guys to contribute on the boards and, and you know keep guys like Gasol and Ibaka. And this, this, that's a big team over in there in Toronto. They're going to keep them off the glass. It, it just you know creates a, a much bigger need for those guys to to play at a higher level. So I, I think that, yeah, yeah, definitely still favorites in Golden State, but it, it opens the door more than a crack, I think, too, for, for Toronto to win this thing. Yeah, at least it's something fresh. You know, it gives us something else to look at, which I think is a positive. Yeah, I mean, regardless of the ratings, um, 
and they've been down, obviously, in the Eastern Conference where, you know, the American market doesn't get those Canadian numbers, you know, benefit from that. Um, it's, it certainly hasn't been great ratings-wise, but I, I agree with you. I think having more parity is better. I think when you have, and, and maybe they'll have this in full, at a full level next year, but when you have five or six teams that legitimately believe they can win something, I think that's better for the NBA in the long term. Going from the court to uh, sort of the ridiculous, what do you make of these stories coming out of Lakers camp? And, uh, for instance, Rob Palenka's story about Kobe Bryant meeting Heath Ledger uh, and being inspired by Ledger in the dark night and all that, but he had already passed away. I mean, what's going on here, Chris? Yeah, I mean, look, that that's something that Rob Palenka is going to have to answer because – and first of all, that's a weird thing to lie about. If he was just making that up because he's too savvy to know that it's not going to get out. Now, maybe he – I don't know. I really don't have an explanation for it because the timeline just doesn't match, like, at all for when Heath Ledger died and when you know Kobe Bryant could have seen that movie unless he was given access to a very, very early screener, I guess. I mean, but even then, even then it just strains credulity. That That's something that – that Rob Palenka has to answer for. There was a lot of stuff in that story, though, that I don't know that I care about. Like, and I, I asked a bunch of GMs, you know, who had read the story, what they thought of it. And, you know, Magic Johnson being mean to employees, that, that's life. I mean, it just is. I mean, I feel bad for the employee that, you know, was having panic attacks after Magic chewed her out, but it, it kind of goes with the territory, doesn't it? I mean, if you're, if, if you're, if you make a mistake and your boss yells at you, I mean, how many of us have been there? Like, I've been there, for sure, where I got yelled at for, for making a significant mistake. And uh, that maybe Magic overreacted to it, but that's not the kind of thing that, that rises to the level of, of a controversy or, or scandalous or anything like that. So the workplace, the hostile workplace stuff, that didn't really affect me. What struck me, though, was you know the, the influence that LeBron James' inner circle continues to wield within organizations is dangerous. It just is for the, the health of an organization. Because it, it you know, they, they, they pushed David Blatt out in in Cleveland and look that panned out for them. You know, Tyron Lute took over, they went on to win a championship. Uh, and now it, it seems like they did the same thing with Luke Walton, where they didn't want Luke Walton around and ultimately he wasn't. Now maybe Magic Johnson didn't want him either for separate reasons, but you know, this is this paints a picture of LeBron James inner circle once again wielding a lot of influence within the organization. I'll tell you, from things that I've heard independently, I believe it. I, I, I believe that still happens. And, look, it reminds me that, you know, the most success LeBron James has ever had has been in Miami as a member of the Heat. And the least influence his circle and the people around him had was in Miami with the Heat. I mean, he was quite simply just a uh, player with certainly a lot of respect from the coaching staff and could offer input as far as personnel stuff. But, it, it, it he wasn't given any kind of authority there, and he couldn't. You know, look, he tried to get Eric Spolster fired early on. Everybody knows that it didn't work because Pat Riley had Eric Spolster's back, and they told LeBron to play. And not only did he win championships, but he became a better player playing in Miami. That's kind of the way teams should approach. It. Now it's hard because to get LeBron, you have to agree to everything that kind of comes with him. And ask Cleveland; it's worth the trouble uh, for sure. But. This stuff is just going to keep coming up, you know, and I'm not talking about the little things like the charter flat. I don't care about that, but it's, you know, mentioning to, to reporters and to Adam Silver and to, to, to all these other stuff, stuff that, that is being reported. Um, that, that's the stuff that's troubling, the stuff the Lakers uh, really have to figure out a way to address. 
What are my takeaways from the story, Chris, uh, or, or concerns, I guess, for uh, the Lakers organization? Is they, They've gone from having maybe one of the best owners in sports, in Dr. Buss, and then, you know, Jim took a ton of heat that he didn't know what he was doing, and uh, I think everybody thought, oh, well, Jeannie's going to take control, and Jim's the problem, and she's going to fix it. And in that story, I, I came away thinking to myself that they just don't have strong ownership right now. Jeannie's being manipulated on all fronts and not – I guess uh, handling it all that well that she is aware of all this infighting and all the all the drama going on but hasn't done anything about it. Well, it, in a bigger picture sense, she continues to run you know one of the if not the most significant franchise in the NBA like a family business and right. that doesn't work. I mean, uh, I was among the many that was willing to give Jeannie Buss a mulligan after the Magic Johnson stuff didn't pan out. You know, you bring in, you know, the, the greatest, one of the greatest Lakers of all time, uh, a magnetic personality who can help lure free agents, and you supply him with an ex-agent like Rob Palenka. And that, that's worked out before. I mean, Bob Myers was successful. Neil Olshay was successful. It's been a handful of guys that it's worked out uh, where they've, they've gone from the agency business into the front office. It didn't work out, but I thought maybe she learned something from it. Maybe it's it's all about how you you can grow as as an owner in that uh, in that environment. But then she turns around and does the exact same thing, where she uh, you know empowers Rob Pelinka instead of firing him. She uh, you know make it just doesn't go out there and provide the infrastructure you need. And look, it's not hard to find out what the infrastructure should look like. Look across the hall. Look at what the Clippers are doing with hiring Michael Winger and Trent Redden and. Lee Jenkins, even and, and like all the, and Jerry West being part of that front office, they have built out one of the strongest front offices in the NBA, and the Lakers have one of the weaker ones uh, right now, where it's you know Rob Palenka and you know seven people with the last name Bus that's that around there. It just it doesn't work out well when that's your your kind of dynamic, and I think that's going to be a problem for them unless they address it. Chris, how much do you take from what you see in the playoffs as far as drawing conclusions? And an example would be this. Do you think as highly of Giannis now as you did before this last series? Or did some of his shortcomings in that make you think, oh, he's, he's got to grow some more? Well, I mean, sure, he's got to grow some more. He's got to become a better three-point shooter. He's got to you know, learn kind of how to play through playoff physicality. I think that's part of it. But, I mean, I don't know what more people expect. I mean, his first deep trip into the playoffs and he gets to a conference finals and um you know he, he comes he wins away from getting to the nba finals i mean there's there's very few teams that you know assemble a team of young talent and say you know we're we're ready to win and milwaukee proved to be not one of them remember for all the the problems the raptors have had in, the, in their playoff experience they have playoff experience i mean the only team they lost to prior to uh you know prior to this year was was cleveland and you know they ran to the cavaliers at various different rounds and lost to them but Kawhi leonard's a former finals mvp and you know they just had layers and layers of experience with the rap where the bucks rather just didn't have any so you know i, I assume that the natural growth of of Giannis will continue that he'll become a better shooter that he'll be better going into next year at what the tender age of 25 uh, so I, I think he'll be better. So I, I wasn't disappointed at all. I don't think any less of him after what he did in the playoffs. You know, that's really interesting that you said what you said there because I think it has application to 
the hiring with the Lakers, you know, hiring people to do things that they've never done before. And it, it, it does take experience. It, it helps to have been around the block a few times. Even Phil Jackson, when he he's a smart basketball guy, but being asked to do what he did in New York, that just didn't work either. So maybe, uh, maybe a shout out to all the old guys out there who uh, have learned a thing or two along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just the reality of it. You, you've got to have a certain level of experience to do anything in today's NBA, whether it's be an executive, be a head coach. Uh, how many college coaches have we seen come to the NBA and fail, you know, despite their level of experience at the college level? Um, it's just it's just difficult to do it. You've got to you know go through your growing pains, and and many great teams have done it. Uh, you know, the Golden State Warriors did it. I mean, they were early round eliminate eliminate if you will um you know before steve kerr came along and they made some of the changes that they did uh you go through it you get better and milwaukee it's it's up to their ownership group to keep that that team together and spend the money to spend to keep that group together it's going to be a very expensive offseason in milwaukee if they want to bring everybody back chris middleton wants a max contract i think the market's going to be robust for malcolm brogdon uh i don't know how they find a way to keep brooke lopez but they should um, you know, George Hill, who proved to be more reliable than Eric Bledsoe in the fourth quarter. I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that you have to pay a lot of money to keep around, and it's going to be incumbent on ownership to do it, especially with Giannis heading into a year where next summer he becomes Anthony Davis. He becomes extension eligible, and if he passes on one of those $247 million extension, all of a sudden the Bucks are in a whole world of trouble. <laughs> Real quick before we let you go, Chris, what's the scuttlebutt in Boston over Kyrie Irving? You know, nobody really knows. Um, you know, I, look, I, I don't think that there's as much unanimity within the Celtics front office about bringing him back as there was maybe six months ago or certainly not eight, nine months ago. All that being said, the only voice there that matters is Danny Ainge, and Danny Ainge wants Kyrie Irving back from everything I, I understand. He believes talent wins in today's NBA, so he's going to do everything he can to bring him back. And, you know, look, Kyrie's another one of those guys that has a really tight inner circle. Uh, it's his father. He's got a personal trainer there uh, that's around him. And, and it's, so it's tough to get a read on, on, on what he thinks and what his plans are. It certainly was a tough season for him, but I don't know. I don't think anybody in Boston's uh, believing that he's, he's not going to come back at this point. I think it's, it's more open than it was back when he made that announcement in October, but uh, they're certainly going to make every effort to bring him back. I just, Chris, I just uh, got a, a message from uh, someone, some of the odds makers in Vegas, and they have Kyrie Irving, uh, the odds of him, where he's going to start uh, next season. Uh, the New York Knicks, 2-3, to three, uh, Brooklyn Nets, 2-1, to one, Boston Celtics, 5-1. to one. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, that's, I, I get that. Uh, you know, New York, he's from North Jersey. Um, you know, he grew up watching a lot of Knicks games. Uh, he's always been connected there. The Nets, you know, certainly they'll have some cap flexibility and an interesting team to go back to. I mean, what what I'm, I'm curious to know about Kyrie Irving, now that he gets some separation, that's important too, like getting a little bit of separation from what was a really troubling season. Um, you know, does he still want the same things? I mean, he left Cleveland to get out of LeBron James's shadow and to, you know, kind of be his own man. He was given everything he could have wanted. He was given, uh, you know, a franchise in the city where his father played college basketball and was a star at BU in the 1980s. You know, he was he was given a franchise with an elite GM, a high-level head coach, a roster that showed itself capable of getting to the conference finals without him. He was given everything, and if he walks away from it, it's his prerogative. I never criticize guys for, for, for doing what, what, what they feel right, especially when 
people like us do it all the time. Uh, but it's it's going to be you know kind of a referendum on on his last two years. He got he asked for a franchise of his own. He got it. It turned out bad, and he walked away from. It. That's what the narrative is going to be if he leaves Boston. Thank you so much as always, Chris. You're the best. You got it, guys. The great Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. Always uh, a terrific conversation. It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.